welcome to the Independent Girls podcast. Today I am chatting to Michelle Gately, who is a content creation wizard for business owners. Michelle is a former journalist who is now pouring her talents into helping entrepreneurs to write with confidence so they can find their voice. Michelle is also a bit of a podcast whiz. She has three podcasts to her name, which I'll link in the show notes, and is about to launch a course to help you start a podcast that will grow your business. My podcast brings in quite a lot of my clients and members and you can do it too. It's such an incredible tool for business owners. So you're going to hear a bit more about that in this episode. I really love recording this interview with Michelle. Her passion for what she does is infectious and I can't wait for you to hear it. Hey Michelle, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. For anyone who doesn't follow you or isn't aware of your work already, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. Obviously, listen to it a lot as well and have caught up with you a few times, Julian. Always have a nice chat. Yeah. So I am a journalist by trade and about a year ago, um, maybe not quite a year, I switched to building my own business mm-hmm. and now I help small businesses create really good content online. So I have some clients that I create content for, but my main focus is teaching people how to create better content and how to feel confident doing that as well. That's such a good thing to do because I think the confidence is like a huge thing for people and something that we will go into later because it is super <laughs> important to be able to like write well for your business. I know that's something that even as someone who would say they are a writer, I find it quite hard to write like sales pages and things for my website. But yeah, let's talk a bit about your career and sort of leading up. So how did you get started as a journalist? What was that like for you? So in Australia, um, you go straight from high school to university. There's no like college. It's a mm. little bit different. So I finished high school um, at 17, mm-hmm. which is the normal age uh, or it was the normal age for the state that I lived in. I think now it's 18 though, which is slightly more mature. Um, so I went straight to university. I didn't have a gap year or anything. And the course that I did, it was a bachelor of journalism and it was fast tracked. So basically we did three semesters a year instead of two. And so that meant that I did the course in two years instead of three. So I sort of rushed through that, um, in my classic style was just like Mm -hmm. totally anxious and, perfectionist about it and uh, was was very focused on that and then I almost immediately started working at my hometown newspaper so I started as a third year cadet because they still have like cadetships and stuff um, in the newspaper I worked in Mm -hmm. and basically that just meant that I still had a bit of training on the job And after a year, basically, I got a promotion to like a fully graded journalist, which was really like exciting. Um, And when I was there, I literally covered everything. So I was at that newspaper for five years and I have reported on so many things, literally from like a charity bake sale to murders. And yeah, I mean, I... Like it, it's a it's a real mix because like the journalists to me obviously like there's so much adrenaline that comes with writing those stories but they're also really 
really tragic um, and there's been a lot of in between as well. So stories of really nice things happening to people, stories of really sad things happening to people. Um, I've also done like photography shifts where I would do sports photography on the weekend uh, because we didn't have enough staff and that was that was a real challenge but kind of exciting and things like sub-editing and um, like proofing the paper and also like managing a team and editing the paper in terms of like guiding the news direction and um, assigning stories and things like that so that five years was like absolutely mega in terms of my personal and career development and it's just I couldn't have planned it that way but it ended up just being the most amazing five years lots of ups and downs emotionally as well um, and ultimately I'm glad that I sort of stepped away when I did because it was a very stressful job mm. but it has given me so many skills and so much confidence in my ability that I just don't think I could have gotten otherwise one of the things that I really admire about you is you're super driven and like you're as you said then you just were like yeah that's what I'm gonna do is it is journalism something that you always wanted to do from like a really young age or was it something you got into more as you got a bit older and went through like the lazy years of school I had no idea what I wanted to do absolutely none so I've always loved reading I've been a total bookworm I really identify with Matilda um except for the magical powers <laughs> so yeah that was me I was just like always reading always in the library I went through a lot of different stages of things um for ages I had my mind set on becoming like a police officer mainly because I love true crime <laughs> um and then I think someone was like no you have to be really fit to do that and I was like well <laughs> probably not gonna happen um and then I was like oh I could be a criminologist or um I could do like forensic science and I was like kind of set on that without really knowing what it would involve and I think too I got sucked into a lot of um my my parents were very concerned and I, th I think everyone is very concerned with having a, a job that will pay you yeah um ironic considering the field that I ended up going into <laughs> but um basically I just kept getting asked a lot like oh but you know what job is that gonna get you and I think that's something that's a, that's a whole other topic obviously but it is something I think a lot of us get sucked into so for a long time I was very much like well I don't know and I couldn't I couldn't picture myself doing anything so I'm very big on like I have to imagine myself doing stuff I, I don't I don't know how else to describe it but when I was at school I could never picture what I would be doing. I think when I was really, really little, I thought I wanted to be a teacher because I really loved my teacher because I was such a nerd. Um, but, and I mean, I guess in a way I am sort of teaching people things now and I do really like that. But um, yeah, it was just for years, I just did not know what I wanted to do. Um, I was feeling so anxious towards the end of grade 12 because I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. But obviously I'm going to go to university because that's just what you do when you go to a good school and you get grades and you're smart and um, imagine smart in um, like air quotes because I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say that about myself, but it's just that that was what was encouraged and be academic. And, you know, for my parents who hadn't been to university 
that was a big thing for them. It was like, that means that you have job security and that you're going to earn and you're going to be good. Mm. So I knew I wanted to go to university um, or I knew I should go to university, but I really didn't know what to do. And it wasn't until probably halfway through grade 12, getting quite close to the time when you're meant to be submitting all your university (laughs) things that um, I had this revelation of journalism. Um, I'd given up on the idea of psychology because I was really bad at the advanced maths. And I was like, this is not going to happen. I'm not going to do psychology because I cannot do maths. Um, so I was like, what can I do? And I went to like a talk for a scholarship for a university and they gave us a booklet and I was looking through all the courses, just being like, what can I do at university? And they listed all the classes you do in journalism. I was like, oh, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in that. Oh, I'm I'm really good at English. So maybe, maybe I could be a journalist. And it just sort of grew from that. And you know what? I just thank my lucky stars that when I started, I actually really enjoyed it because it totally could have gone the other way. And I could still be like, what do I do with my life? So I'm just very lucky that that sort of happened. But yeah, other than that, I would have had no clue what to do. Yeah, I think we're very similar in that respect. Like I was the same in my family. It's kind of like everyone's just been to uni because my family are all really clever. And I always was good at school as well. It was just like you go to uni. And that's it. I didn't even know it was a choice until I was in sixth form. And they were like, yeah, so like, you know, when are you going to apply for UCAS and blah, blah, blah. And then some of my friends were saying, oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to have a gap here. And I was like, you could do that? What? Yeah. But yeah, like my parents were big on the paid thing, which is actually, I wanted to do journalism and they were like, don't do that. Like we cannot afford for you to do a free internship in London. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if it's the same for you guys, but in the UK probably not so much now that we've got blogging and things like that but it's very much you need to be able to basically live in London for free for a good couple of years because you will need to do unpaid internships to get into journalism so it's quite like a I guess a class issue here but it sounds like where you are it's a bit more accessible um to an extent I think it depends there's still I feel there's still a lot of like classism um, Mm. and a bit of a divide in journalism where um, the metros uh, like Sydney, Melbourne, even Brisbane are seen as the place to be. And if you grow up outside of those areas, like I did, I grew up in a regional part of Queensland, still in what we would consider um, a a reasonably good city, Um, especially in the last couple of years, we've really come forward in terms of infrastructure and things. But if you don't grow up in those areas, then there is a real reluctance to work in those areas. Mm. Um, Or I guess it's seen as just doing your time in the regions and then you'll get back to like the metros because that's where the real journalists are or the real jobs are. And I do tend to think there is a little bit of snobbery there. Um, That may be because... I'm in the like um, <laughs> the lower section of being a regional journalist, so maybe that's just my perspective. But I definitely felt the pressure when I initially um, wanted to do magazine journalism, I think because it's so glamorous, but also because um, I really love writing features. And that's, I mean, I guess still magazines are one of the only places to do long-form features. And magazines were still a bit of a thing when I was going to uni Uh, so I actually did do an internship an unpaid internship in Sydney which involved me basically paying to live in Sydney for a month and doing it every so I I do sort of have that 
experience. And I was very lucky that I could do that. Um, I saved a lot to be able to do that, but there were definitely like I was doing the internship with people who were there just living with their parents and stuff. And it did feel immensely unfair that there was that divide. So I sort of knew that I would never be able to afford to work in magazine journalism, even though my plan was to move to Sydney eventually just because I love it as a city, even though I think it's got higher living costs than London. Um, So it's quite, it's quite ridiculous, but it is gorgeous. Um, So I had always planned to do that, to move on. And even when I got my job back home, um, it wasn't because I wanted to stay there forever. And my, my boss said to me when I started, he was like, this is a place where people start their careers. They usually come for about two years and then they move on. And I can tell you the staff turnover was huge of people, um, not because it was a bad workplace, but just because they were moving on to better jobs. Um, regions are seen as a place to start your work and I don't think that they have as many regional papers over here that you can sort of start at just because of how small England is compared to Australia Um, so there definitely seems to be more opportunity to start um, in the regions in Australia but there still seems to be a bit of this idea that maybe you're not a real journalist um, or you know you're not as successful if you don't work on you know, the Herald Sun or the Sydney Morning Herald or one of those big national papers. I've definitely felt at times, you know, that a bit of comparison where I'm like, oh my God, should I have gone for that? Like, am I a good journalist? Will I ever be able to apply for a job there? Because I've taken a step back from the journalism industry. I do think that there is that sort of idea that there is somehow, you're somehow inherently better if you work for those places, which logically I know is not true, but you know what it gets like in that comparison yeah. sometimes where you're like, oh, did I make the right choice? I did, but just in that one moment, I'm like, oh, God. Yeah, it's super interesting to like see the parallels between the UK and Australia. And obviously because you've introduced me to Shameless, okay, best podcast ever. Um, it's Absolutely interesting amazing. in the group to see like the parallels of like, it's very like Melbourne centric or like Sydney centric. And then you sometimes see the comments where people are like, can you not post spoilers to that? Because I live in this area and like, we haven't had that yet, but yeah, I totally know what you mean. Like I, we have a couple of regional papers. I think they're mostly online now and I think it's most freelance contributors, but there's definitely a little bit of, um, I guess what shameless would call tall poppy syndrome in the, um, <laughs> There's one person I can remember in particular who I think he was a football journalist who worked for a Liverpool paper and he moved to like one of the big sort of broadsheets to do sports journalism. And a lot of people were like really negative about it and they were like, oh, he thinks he's like too big for his boots. And it's like, no, it's just like, a better job. Why would you begrudge him about this? Is totally off topic, but I just find it interesting. <laughs> and as you know, like living in the UK now, it is very London centric, especially with what's going on at the moment. If you're listening to this as it goes out, we are all on lockdown in the UK at the moment because of the coronavirus pandemic. And it's interesting that a lot of the 
report and I found it, oh, here's how London is dealing with it. And I'm like, okay, but like there's a lot of other cities in this country. I think that's one of the reasons why when we moved over here, we didn't want to live in London, um, partly because the price is eye-watering, yeah. <laughs> um, but also because like we're already used to this. So where we live um, in, we live in Chesterfield, which is Midlands um, near Sheffield. It's about the same population size as Rockhampton, which is where we're from in Australia. But by virtue of the fact that it's right near major cities, obviously it has a lot more of a town feel than the city that I lived in in Australia. So that's that's been quite interesting. But I do tend to be like, yeah, Northern England, because I really identify with that where I'm from in Australia. We're like Northern Australia and we always feel like we're forgotten. So <laughs> there's definitely, definitely some parallels. So you're off the newspaper for five years. And then I know you've talked a bit before about how you were like really burnt out. It was a really stressful job. And then you and your boyfriend moved to the UK almost a year ago. Was that decision spurred on by deciding to move or had you already thought, actually, I think I want to do my own thing for a bit. And it was just sort of a happy coincidence that it all like coincided. I definitely wouldn't have built my own business if I hadn't been leaving. It was literally like, I'm going to be unemployed. Um, do I want to do this anymore? The answer, I think the answer is yes, I do want to be a journalist. I do really enjoy it. But there are certain aspects of the job that I didn't enjoy. One thing about working in regional news is that the only way to advance your career really is to move into management positions. Mm -hmm. And as I did that, my enjoyment for the job waned a lot. Yeah. It became a lot more stressful. And I think were I to go back into full-time journalism, I would like to work in the capital city. <laughs> Aside from all that I've just said, I do think I would like to work in the capital city. Yeah, of and um, I, I would probably like the opportunity just to focus on being a writer. I don't necessarily want to be responsible for what everybody else is doing. And I find that really stressful as a bit of a control freak like that enhances my anxiety because you you can't control everything you can't get everyone doing everything to the standard that you want either and so if I was able to just get a job say in, in Melbourne with the ABC or something that would be ideal if I could just work on my own things and be a writer and enhance that skill I would love that but to answer your question basically I was going to be unemployed anyway so I thought maybe I can give this a go. I had no idea what my business would look like. I had been blogging since I was in university. So probably about seven years at that point. And I just was like, okay, I've got this online platform. I really like doing this. Uh, maybe I can make it into something a bit more. Um, obviously I'd been following people like you and I'd been seeing people who were turning their blogs uh, and their hobbies into this full-time thing because until that point it hadn't really occurred to me to do it so that's that's sort of where the idea came from I just sort of thought I wanted more freedom in my daily life um, especially because my boyfriend Jack worked shift at home as well so we would often be on opposing shifts he would be on a late shift I would be on an early shift starting at 6am and we would barely get to spend any time together so we really wanted to prioritise lifestyle and enjoying the UK while we were over here, even if that meant having less income. Obviously, the situation now <laughs> is that we're stuck at home anyway, so it doesn't really matter. 
But um, in all honesty, like that has been the best decision, but I never, ever would have done it in Australia. So that does sort of confirm for me that life sort of works out the way it's meant to because it just, it never would have happened and my life would have been so different. And it wouldn't have necessarily been bad, but I think if I hadn't made a change, I would have headed for a really bad burnout. And I definitely only got like the cusp of it this way. <laughs> yeah. And how is it, how has it been to find your way in business? Because a lot, for a lot of people that I know, they do a certain job and then they somehow almost fall into working for themselves because they're really good at it. And then they sort of take on these like freelancers jobs on the side or um, as you say, like maybe they have a blog and they just start doing that as like a bit of a side hustle and it becomes their sort of main hustle, so to speak. Whereas for you, it was almost like the opposite. You, you've been finding your way and I feel like you've really found what you were meant to do now just from, I can tell it when I, because obviously we follow each other on Instagram, when I see like your stories and like your posts, I'm like, oh, she's super passionate about this. I love it. How have you found it? It's almost finding that path of what you actually want to do for work. Yeah. So I think the best decision I made when I was starting out before we left Australia is I'd been hearing about like coaches and I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I should hire a business coach. Like maybe this is something I should do. And with the extra money that I had saved up from, you know, working and moving over here, I sort of discussed it with Jack and we decided that I should hire a business coach. So I started working with Holly Bray from a branch of Holly. Mm-hmm. And that has been a lifesaver in helping me figure out what I want to do because Something that I really admire about Holly is that she's very much focused on um, living the lifestyle you want as well. So when we had our first meeting and I sort of said what I just said to you, that like we wanted to prioritize living, I wanted to earn money to help with travel and stuff, but really we wanted to just enjoy our time and I wanted to enjoy my days and not be as stressed. So she's always supported me in that. And it's literally just been a bit of trial and error for me. So I was very lucky to get a freelance client entirely by accident who I create content for. And while I love creating content for him and I love working with him, it also confirmed to me that I don't necessarily want to do content creation for everyone because I think then I would feel in the same situation I did before where I wasn't getting to explore my passions as much. Yeah. So I've sort of worked with Holly to talk about, you know, what could I actually do like because I kind of felt like I didn't not that I didn't have any skills but that they weren't easily marketable so I couldn't just turn around and tell people how to make a business obviously or you know I couldn't I felt like in the sea of Instagram businesses I didn't have that much to sell but she's helped me identify that and then just through trial and error of working with different people I started to realize what I like doing and what I don't like doing. And again, like some of my coaching has um, sort of developed by people asking me for help with things. And I sort of thought, oh yeah, I could, I could make something around that. So I have a six week mentoring program, which basically came from someone saying, so I have these problems and I don't know if you'd be able to help me with them. And I sort of was like, oh yeah, I never thought about that before. And I've created a, a, a program around that and I'm I love working with clients around that so I've just taken on a few new clients 
um, in that program. And I get so excited to talk to them about their ideas and to see them develop their ideas and to have input into those ideas as well. So yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of trial and error. And I think my advice to anyone who feels sort of the same, like that they want to do something different, but they're not sure what would literally just be to try not to be afraid of trying new things because ultimately that's how you're going to work out what you want to do. So the other thing that I know we're going to talk about a bit later as well is that I really love podcasts, but I never thought oh, I want to turn that into a business until someone sort of said something or I can't even remember how it came about, but I remember um, sending a voice memo to Holly going, so have I like painted myself into a corner of only doing writing and editing content? Because I think maybe I want to talk about podcasting. And she was like, no, that's fine. And it's, it, but it has taken me all this time. I think probably about 10 months of time to sort of work out what it is I do. And that would be to say, I help people create better content online it's taken me so long to work out what that actually is. So yeah, just lots of trial and error. Yeah, totally. And I think that's such good advice as well for anyone listening who is thinking that. And I know there's a lot of people who are probably listening who are having to pivot their business or maybe they've, you know, been affected by this horrible situation and have lost their job and are now thinking like, what can I do? And it is like, I think for everyone, even if you know what you want your business to be, there is a lot of trial and error and figuring out exactly what to do and as you say like those sort of skills and I think everyone has skills that they can sell if they want to um but yeah it's 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 a a tough journey I think to like figure out what exactly it is and I think podcasting and writing goes really well together with what you do because when I think about the podcast that I listen to a lot of them are by journalists and I like the podcast because I enjoy their writing and I want to hear more from them basically. So I think there's a lot of crossover in it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. There, there definitely is. And like a lot of mainstream broadcasters and news organizations like the BBC, like my old organization, News Corp, um, like the ABC in Australia, they're all making more podcasts and looking at that as an innovative way to do storytelling now. So I think it is just another way to tell a story. And yes, sometimes that story is conversation, but we're seeing more and more um, proper scripted pod- podcasts that are storytelling. Absolutely. So in terms of your mentoring program, can you tell us a little bit about that and what you tend to help business owners with? during your time together? So it's really about focusing on who you're speaking to and how to speak to them better or in a clearer way. So the first thing we sort of do together is look at um, where we can find ideas and creativity and creativity around ideas. So I did a podcast episode on this as well, which would give you an idea of like the sort of things I talk about. But basically switching on our brain to look for ideas rather than wait for inspiration. The whole idea of doing the mentoring program the way I have is that um, essentially you start with nothing and you come up with the ideas, then we develop them together, then you write the blog post and then I show you how to edit it. So it's really like collaborative approach, but you get something at the end of it too, as well as learning how to do it along the way. So um, some of my clients have had, you know, no platform before. Some people have a bit of an idea of their values, but they're not sure what they want to say. So we sort of look at that. We look at like 
content pillars and the values that you want to get across. Then we look at how to um, structure blog posts so that they're really like Google friendly. Um, then I take them through some tips for writing better as well, because I think writing in a journalistic style is something that appeals to Google, but it's obviously very different from how we're taught in high school. So sort of passing on the things that I've learned and how I've developed it's really important to self-edit your own work, but that is a skill in itself. So we go through the editing process and um, that's based on my editing skills from the newspaper, but I've also studied editing at university or I'm studying it as part of my master's. So I bring in all those tips as well. And then um, we just sort of look at developing a content plan for the future so that when we finish up working one-on-one -on -one together, they've got a bit of stuff to be working on as well. Um, the other things we cover are things like uh, plagiarism and how to avoid that while still referencing other works, where to look for like different content research ideas and things like that. So it is like quite hands-on in that I give them like homework between sessions and we sort of work on that together. But that's because I feel like sometimes writing, obviously it can be very daunting and it can be hard to take in all that information and then not actually get feedback on putting it into practice. And that's what I've found in the past. So when I made this, I wanted to make it a process where you come up with the ideas and then the next session I say like, that's, a, you know, that's great. Here's how we can develop it. And we work on that together. So you can see in action what those tips actually look like. That's so good. And I think it's something that a lot of people find really intimidating because I guess maybe they have those like memories of English classes at school and they're just thinking like, I don't know what an adjective is. Like I can't write. And I feel like everyone can write in some way in their own way what are some of the things that people tend to struggle with when they come to you I think a lot of people uh, get worried about finding the right tone or writing in a way that's personal yet still business-like for their for their blogs um, often and I do focus on people who are wanting to create a blog as part of a business mm. um, because there's a little bit more strategy behind that obviously um, I think you can still be really creative but it's about understanding, I guess, what Google is looking for so that you can um, make your blog post best that they can be um, while still being you. So I think finding a tone and working out who you're actually speaking to is really, is really, really important. And I'd say to just with business stuff in general, before I was sort of starting and before I started working with Holly, I had listened to a lot of podcasts about sort of finding your why and I do think that drilling down on your values and what you want to achieve out of your business is so important. And that will guide eventually what you end up doing rather than starting with a product or a service and not really knowing how that fits in. And it's sort of the same for writing. So I don't think we can, we, we can't really talk to a, a homogenous group. And the thing that sets us apart as small business owners is our personality and the fact that we are like, we're people, we're not big organisations. So you've got to find the right balance between bringing those personal experiences in and also showing that you really know what you're talking about. Um, and yeah, I know, I know people tend to sort of struggle with that, but the, the best thing to do would be to really drill down on who you're speaking to and imagine that you're speaking to them like we are now, like just one-on-one -on -one conversation and writing it for them rather than thinking, I'm going to write something for my business and it has to sound like this or whatever you think 
your business should sound like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, like not being intimidated, like when I think of the writing I enjoy, it's not necessarily... I was going to say, I'm not thinking about like sentence structure and stuff, but obviously that does play into your experience of reading good writing because it's one of those silent skills where you might not notice it. Like you might not be thinking, oh, that's a great use of like a verb, but it does play into it because that's what makes writing good. But it's also if someone is saying something that you're interested in and you can tell that they're really passionate about it, you're willing to forego a lot of that. Not, I don't want to say skill, but like almost that sort of like the traditional kind of things that you might get marks badly for in an English exam. If you're enjoying what the person is saying and you can tell that they're super passionate about it and you can like almost get a grip of their personality through that, that writing, even if it's not technically perfect. Absolutely. I do think that, you know, while we should be editing our work to look, you know, and and be as good as we can make it, I am not one for, you know, you should know what this is and you should know what a verb is and you should know how to use this. I mean, I do a monthly newsletter where I sort of explain how to use things, but you know what, quite often I have to look all that up and double check that I'm using it right. Because for me, a lot of the writing I do is intuitive. Mm. Um, And I think that's because I read so much as a child um, that a lot of sentence structures and stuff, it just makes sense to me. So I don't think that it makes you inherently smarter to know that sort of stuff. What I would say is um, like a big myth that I, I think we need to bust is this idea that good writers are good at writing all the time. Because in actual fact, I think good writing is only made good by a good edit. And while I love the process of working with an editor and having someone look at my work, obviously we're not all in a position to do that, which is why I really want to like teach people how to edit themselves. Um, Because it does require essentially like putting on a different hat um, and looking at your work in a different way from when you write it. And I think people sometimes feel intimidated because they might read amazing. I mean, God, me too. I read amazing books and I'm like, oh, that's just so good. I couldn't write like that. Like our our favorite podcast, Shameless, I read some of their newsletters and I'm like, oh my God, I wish (laughs) I could write that well. But I think what we all need to remember is that that doesn't come overnight. Like Jane Austen wasn't amazing because she was Jane Austen. She worked collaboratively with an editor to improve her work. So I think that's something, especially online, there's this idea that, you know, it's instantaneous. And especially, I guess, in the older days of blogging, as it were, um, there was this idea that it's just a snapshot of your life or that it's very on the go. And people probably would just, you know, I'm just going to write a blog post and put it up now. Yeah. But in fact, like, if you want to do it properly, you need to sit with it a while and you need to edit it properly yeah. and take a look at it. And that, that, doesn't, um, that doesn't mean, again, doesn't mean conforming to particular rules. It just means looking at it in a different way and making sure it's logical and, yes, correcting typos, but editing is also about a lot more than just correcting typos. It's about making sure you've answered questions making sure that, you know, the meaning is clear and that you've said things in the best possible way. So that's probably another tip I would give to people is to start like thinking about a blog post as a process, a writing process. It's not just, I'm going to write a blog post and then that's done. 
it's a process of I'm going to plan a blog post, I'm going to draft it, I'm going to edit it, and then I'm going to publish it. Yeah, completely. And I think so many people give up with blogging and all kinds of different forms of writing they might want to do because they'll write something and it's not good straight away. And I, I'm a very big believer in like the shit first draft because when you write something for the first time, it doesn't matter how great at writing you are. When you're just getting your thoughts on the page, it's not going to be perfect. And that's why that self-editing is so important because you've got to like almost go away from it for a bit and then come back to it and go, right, okay, let's get into this and like make it better. And that's just how it is. It's like, you know, if you've had a bit of a break from the gym, you don't just go back and expect to be like lifting crazy weights straight away. You've got to like work up to it. And it's, it's the same writing, yeah. I think. <laughs> exactly yeah and and no one's like going to the olympics for the first time ever like think of how much training they've done in there no one's just like mo farah overnight it just doesn't happen like that it's all the unseen hours and when you read a book you're not seeing all the hours of revisions and the thousands of comments on that manuscript so yeah i think i think it can be easy to be overwhelmed by that and like i said i feel that sometimes too and i just have to pull myself together and remind myself that it's a process yeah and also i think everyone's got different tastes if you read like normal people by sally rooney that's written in such an interesting way which is probably technically a bit of a nightmare and i personally didn't like that style of writing but that book has done so well and obviously a lot of people can really get into it and have really sort of it's touched them and it it just goes to show that it's not always about like it's a little bit confidence as well because if she didn't have the confidence to write in that way like I can't think of any books that are written in that way apart from hers and like it's not my taste but so many people love that and I think that's the thing it doesn't have to be grammatically perfect yeah it is interesting how with things like writing and I think running a business to some extent you expect to be good at it straight away whereas with certain other things you would kind of give yourself that grace to like develop and get better at it yeah I don't know why we put so much pressure on ourselves when like I said like no one's going to the gym and being like well overnight I'm going to turn into this person it's like you know it takes time <laughs> so why do we think that if we start a business then tomorrow we're going to be making like what is it like six figure months and all oh, yeah. that sort of stuff <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah, I think we just need to be a bit kinder to ourselves, really. Yeah, so can we, I know you've mentioned blogging for your business. Can we talk a bit about that? Because I know that's something you're a big advocate of and something that a few people will kind of wonder, like, is it really worth starting a blog for my business? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, it absolutely is. Even if you're a little bit worried at first, it's really a matter of sitting down and thinking, okay, what knowledge do I have that I could share if, I was like in a shop front and someone came in and they asked me this question, like, what would I talk to them about? That's a great place to start. If you're like, I have no ideas. I have nothing to talk about. I think you'll find that you actually have lots you can talk about in your business and frequently asked questions are a great place to start. Um, but the reason it's so powerful too is because you own it. So we're not beholden to Instagram or Facebook or anything like that. With a blog, it is content that you own and you control. And once you build up a bank of that as well, it means that you can repurpose that content on social media. So it actually ends up making your life a bit easier because you're not constantly trying to come up with little captions for things. 
Um, and I, I just, I think it's a brilliant way to show off your personality. And like I said, that is something that people get worried about, but it is the best way to introduce yourself to your potential customers because there's that saying that, you know, people don't buy from brands, they buy from people. So blogging is the best way to do that. It, it's more engaging than an Instagram caption. And like I said, you're, you're essentially like doing two jobs at once because when you put the effort into creating that blog, that's going to live on your website and be there for a long time. And then you can repurpose that into Instagram content or Facebook content that is going to disappear quite quickly. Um, obviously, the other massive benefit is search engine optimization which takes a long time to build, but once you start building it, it can be really helpful in driving traffic to your website. And I guess essentially, if you're selling something on there, hopefully building your sales as well. Yeah, and you have an ebook on SEO, don't you? Yes, I do. So I've also um, just been recording some podcast episodes on it as well to like break down the, the very basics, but I also wrote um, an ebook and that is to try and demystify a lot of the technical jargon out there because it is very tech heavy and I feel like it's very blokey as well like it's all like these guys who are like tech nerd people and it just doesn't feel very accessible if you've never looked at it before but I wanted to look at SEO in terms of actually creating better content obviously that's what I do but also one of the main pieces of advice that you get when you look for SEO and you look at all those like big tech blogs is to just to create better content, but no one's actually really explaining that in a way that's really easy and accessible to understand. So that is what I do. Like as a journalist, that's what I've been doing. So I wanted to share that in a easier way. So yeah, that, that ebook is available on my website as well. <laughs> yeah. And how can people create better content I guess have you got any quick fire tips for that yeah so as I said before like it's a process so sit down and actually make a plan hone in on a specific topic so try to get more specific rather than going broader and really look at the ways that the, the best idea will combine some element of you know like news so something new and exciting, something that relates to your industry, but then that will collide with your expertise and um, like a new unique take on that topic. And it's going to be something that provides value to your audience. So something that they're looking for help with, a pain point that they need addressing. Um, and that's going to be like the best way to, to build better content is really looking at what your content want and thinking how your expertise can meet that need. Um, so Planning is a huge part of that, sitting down and working out what you're going to cover in your blog post and then also, again, editing it to make sure that it's readable and that it all makes sense. Um, those are probably the biggest things. And also um, another huge thing for Google is um, making sure that you've got uh, a unique, sorry, Another huge thing for Google is making sure that you've got a, an about page that's quite concise and basically shows why you should be trusted on this topic. Um, and then if you have contributing writers as well, giving them a bio and basically explaining why they're good at what they do and why they should be talking about this. So you're not having like a real estate agent advising you on like PT sessions, you know, <laughs> it's about, it's about making sure that you're proving why you should talk about this. Yeah, it's, I guess it's all about that like authority, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, that's such great advice. Thank you. So something we haven't covered as much 
is that as well as being a journalist and being really great at writing you are also a master podcaster because you've got three podcasts you've got better words which is your kind of bookish podcast that you do with your friend and you've got predator which is true crime podcast for any true crime fans listening i'm sure that is most of you (laughs) Um, and then you've got your new podcast as well content etc which is more kind of um kind of based towards your business so how did you get into podcasting I feel like you've been onto it for a really long time and it's sort of had this boom in the past couple of years yes so Caitlin and I started Better Words back in 2017 and it was literally that we loved listening to podcasts and then we were joking around doing the whole millennial like oh my god we should start podcasting And then I think I was looking at a uni class and I was like, oh, this uni class would make you do a podcast. Haha, we should start a podcast. And like literally I remember being at work on the, on on Facebook at work. It's like when you're a journalist, you can be on Facebook all day and um, chatting to her in messenger. And you're like, oh my God, we should start a podcast. And she's like, yeah, we we totally should. And it basically just grew from there. And then I was like, we should interview authors. And Caitlin was a bit dubious, but because I've been blogging for a bit longer and had a lot of connections within the Australian book community, which the the young adult book community in Australia is quite small and everyone's really connected. So when we started approaching people and saying, hey, we're doing this, um, you know, I've, I've been interacting with you for ages or whatever, like people were really, really accommodating and really open to that. And that just grew our confidence too. Um, so yeah, we've been doing that for ages and we're just taking a bit of a break at the moment because, um, it's obviously quite hard to coordinate across two countries and because it's book related as well, we always like to read the book before we do the interview, which can get quite tricky with, um, organizing Australian releases and UK releases and making sure one of us has a copy of the book to read and then setting up time zones and stuff like that. So we've moved from doing it every week to just doing seasons. And we'll be back a bit later in the year with that. We've just finished season four. Um, so literally it was just that I was obsessed with it. And I, I guess that's how a lot of writers start as well. They love reading and then you start writing. It's like, it's like that with podcasting for me. Like I just love listening to it. And then was like, maybe I should do this too. And um, then I had this idea for this true crime podcast I put it on the back burner for a little bit and I'm really glad I did because I became a better writer in that time as well. And then eventually we, I think maybe this time last year, we would have been putting the finishing touches on, on writing the first few episodes, but I went through a very extensive, I wanted to really push myself with that. So when I scripted that, I, I worked with someone to edit that really thoroughly as well, because practicing what I'm preaching, the first draft was mediocre like it was it it wasn't I wouldn't say it was shit but it wasn't brilliant like I definitely looked back and was like oh I'm glad I I'm glad I edited that and improved that so I did go through an intense process to script all those episodes and record them and then eventually kind of got the podcast bug again and also I'm always banging on about what a good tool it is for your business and I was like I probably should do that for my business then and I'm really enjoying being able to do my blog content in audio form essentially as well. It is really interesting to speak to someone who's had so many and they're such different podcasts as well. I know. (laughs) They're all completely different. 
it's really great and as you said it is such a great tool for your business and you've done a, a workshop for us in IGC as well about how you can u- utilize podcasting to grow your business can we talk a bit about that why is it such an effective tool well I think it's that it's more personal So while blogging is amazing because of the search capabilities, the truth is that people still will skim read a lot of things or not read, but people are so engaged with podcasts and compared to blogs, there are so few podcasts, like the numbers are so small and I I don't want to, I think there were less than a million last time I checked, but I think that may have, they may have even gone up over a million now, but basically there's so roughly like a million different shows compared to like 66 million blogs or something like that I can't even remember the number properly but basically you know while we're still we're still encouraging people to start blogging there is absolutely no reason why you shouldn't be podcasting I think it feels saturated because we're all listening to a lot of podcasts but really it's not saturated at all so it's very portable obviously you can listen to it anywhere I you know I would drive to work, listen to it. I'd listen, I listen to podcasts in the shower, in the bath while I'm exercising. Like we can take them anywhere with us. And it feels like either you're listening to us having a conversation or it's someone talking directly to you and it's a direct conversation. So it just is unmatched in terms of that personal feeling. So if you're trying to um, display your brand values in that way. And I think that's why it's so good for someone like you, Julia, who's a service-based business. You can get that across so well in a podcast because people will literally get an idea of what it's like to work with you. It's almost like a minimal effort thing if you're listening to a podcast. You can get so much out of it, whether that's actual business advice or just I think if you work from home, it can get really lonely and actually it sounds stupid, but listening to a podcast does genuinely help because it's not the same with music. It almost feels like you are almost having a conversation with someone. I need to work with background noise and I do go through stages where I'm like, right, so I have three different things that I do. I'll either put a Spotify playlist on and usually that's our co-working club playlist or I'll watch a TV show that I've watched so many times or that I don't kind of care about so everyone is gonna like think I'm the weirdest like I'm such a loser with this but I love watching the bill every day on UK TV play that's like my it can just be on in the background and I sort of get half invested but I also don't have to pay attention fully (laughs) Um, and it's such a stale recommendation but I just it's nostalgic and I love it. I used to watch it when I was a teenager, back when I wanted to be a police officer. <laughs> and that used to, it used to be on on Saturday nights on ABC and my dad would be working and I'd be home alone and I'd be watching the bill. Um, so <laughs> I, I love watching that and just watching other, you know, sitcoms that I've watched for ages, um, you know, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, things like that. Uh-huh. But then also I will have podcasts that I want to listen to. And I do prefer to listen to chatty podcasts then because I want to feel like I'm part of the conversation and I think a lot of people will be feeling that now as they've all just been forced to work from home it's obviously taken us a while to perfect our routines and everything but I think now more than ever we're looking for something light and uplifting or something that's educational 
Yeah, totally. Also, The Bill is a great, great recommendation. I love it. So random, but actually really true now you think about it. I also do the same. I don't know if they're still doing it, but when I used to work from home in my old job, I'd have E4 on in the background because they always had like really old sitcoms, How I Met Your Mother and stuff like that, where you're like, I don't care about this enough to get into the plot, but you know, (laughs) I tell tell myself that and then something big will happen and it'll be like a cliffhanger. I'm like, no, I have to wait until tomorrow's episode. Damn it. Like (laughs) minimizing the document, you type into be like, oh, what's happening? But yeah, you're so right. Especially now I've, I'm finding that podcast is such a comfort because I am missing my friends and like my family and I'm going on like my daily, my one allowed daily run. And I've actually got really into comedy podcasts, which is I only listen to business podcasts and the high, low and shameless, that's it. But I've got really into comedy ones because I feel so anxious when I go out. But I've got funny podcasts on. It almost makes me forget the anxiety. It also doesn't help with running because it makes me laugh and it makes me look like a weirdo. But I'll have like... I make had... you cough like you've got coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's like I had... Um, I'm really into Friday Night Dinner. It's like my favourite show. And um, they did an episode when they first started the show like 10 years ago. And they play clips from it on this podcast episode. And I was like running through the park by my house. And I was just like, I kept giggling. And I was like, I look so weird. But <laughs> genuinely, like it, it lifted my spirits because I'd come out feeling really panicky. And then I got back and I was like, I feel so much better now. Like I feel, it's almost that home comfort thing. Um, I love Jules and Sarah, the podcast. That me is, too. <laughs> yeah, such, such a comfort, such a joy. I haven't listened to them for ages and I was like, you know what? I need something fun in my life. I'm going to put this on. And the other one I've got really into lately is called Evil Genius uh, with Russell Kane. It's a BBC Four show and basically they take notable people from history and figure out whether they were evil or genius. And it's Ooh. hosted It's hosted by Russell Kane, who's a comedian, but then he also has a panel of three comedians. So it's just very funny, but also you learn something. Yeah. Wait, okay. I'm going to sound really stupid now. Is Russell Kane the one with the blonde hair or dark hair and he looks quite emo? Yes, I think he did used to look like that. Hang on, I'm going to show you a picture because I've got his book here. He used to be on like BBC Three. He's, he's really like yes, he's not the one <laughs> he's really um he jokes in that about looking like an emo and he's like um h- how he went on to, yeah he does he does joke about that I love the I love his stand-up about his dad and that's why I got this book um and yeah he's really made over the hair he says this is his <laughs> um he, he joked the other day he's like I'm wearing my like middle-aged comic <laughs> uniform of like a suit and stuff because they were talking about Coco Chanel and they were talking about clothes and they were like you know I know you laugh but now I'm in my middle-aged comic uniform and blah, blah, blah. it's brilliant you'll love it yeah I will I might get that book actually um also shout out to my favorite Russell Russell Brand who is the first podcast I ever listened to back in like when he had a, a show on radio too before like Soxgate and I think it must have been like two, I was in school so it must have been like 2007 2008 and that was the first wow. podcast I ever listened to oh um, my god that is a throwback I know and it was funny because on Shameless they were saying oh yeah this was the decade podcasts were a thing and I was like no it wasn't you guys are so young oh <laughs> <laughs> uh. But yeah, it, it is such a, it's such a powerful tool for your business. I can say firsthand, I have had clients book to work with me and have literally said, I listened to X episode of your podcast and I found it so helpful that I knew I just needed to work with you because 
you clearly get what I need. And I mean, if you think about something like Shameless, and I will link their podcast because I've mentioned it like a billion times. But um, if you think of Shameless, they started it. They were both journalists. They worked for Mamma Mia, um, yeah. which is an Australian sort of, is it just online? It um, is just online. Yeah. I don't even know what you would, I don't know what the UK equivalent would be. Uh, maybe like Cosmo or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And they started it, they wanted to do it through their employer, which was Mamma Mia, and they didn't get it passed, so they just did it on their own, and now they have a fully-fledged business off the back of that podcast, and I find that so fascinating. That like They're our age, and they just, they have multiple podcasts, and they actually make money from them too, which would be the difference between them and me, <laughs> <laughs> but um they yeah they have sponsored podcasts and they have this media empire or maybe not an empire yet but anyway I love them and I'm like you're my heroes girls I love them so much <laughs> yeah it's so crazy and it's like the thing that they've done so well is they so their slogan is for smart women who love dumb stuff and it is such an interesting thing because there is so much around you're you're an intelligent person but also you know pop culture is interesting like I'm not, I'm not going to lie, I do like a bit of the Kardashians, like that's definitely one of my sort of brain candy shows that I can have on in the background and not pay attention to, but. And I know really... you're a Love Island fan as well, like me. Yes, of course, yeah. of course. It's interesting because it's usually guys, if you say, oh, I'm really into Love Island, I'm like, I thought you were clever. And I'm like, well, it's an interesting study on psychology, okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, it's it is, it is almost bringing back that nuance that you lose with social media where, it's, yeah, it's not the most highbrow show, but actually you can be intelligent and like listen to it, be interested in a variety of different things. Like you don't have to just be intelligent and only read like the independent or like the financial times or whatever. You can have different interests. Um, and I think that's what they've really zoned in on is that sort of young women we do really relate to them we almost have a conversation every week when a new episode comes out and like there's a lot of like I really agreed with Michelle on this or I really felt like what Zara was saying I so related to that and it's like they always say something like yeah I totally get that yeah absolutely I think actually they're a great case study for you know how important it is to know who you're speaking to because they have just nailed that they know exactly who their audience is and who they're speaking to so the advice that I gave about that for blogging also applies for podcasting. Like if it's something that you're considering, then knowing who your audience is and who you're talking to is like the number one step. Absolutely. So in terms of starting a podcast for anyone who's thinking about doing that, and I've definitely had clients who would like to start one, but feel like they can't for some reason, maybe they don't feel like they're enough an expert. For some reason, it seems like there's more of a barrier to it than say starting a blog possibly I guess because it is a bit of an unknown whereas blogging now is sort of seen as so accessible what do they need to know if they're thinking about starting a podcast yeah so I'm actually in the process at the moment of um, creating a podcast course to sort of take people through that whole thing with support but I think people overestimate the amount of technical knowledge that they need to have like even the shameless girls were saying in a, an episode that we listened, both listened to today that they were struggling with um, virtual recording. And I was like laughing because I was like, well, yeah, we, we, I mean, we're doing this virtually now, yeah. <laughs> but, 
But it's just funny that, you know, after two years or whatever of doing the podcast, that was a challenge that they had to, to come up with. And there is always going to be technical challenges. So I think a lot of people use the, the technical side of podcasting as an excuse for not actually starting because it is scary to put yourself out there. Um, and so they just say, oh, well, I need to know more. I'm, I'm not good with technology. I'm only really recently learning and understanding like mics and sound and editing and everything. Like we've, we've winged it for so much of better words. And then for Predator, which was the true crime one, I had a producer for that who, to be fair, he was sort of winging it as well, but he's a lot better at editing things than I am. So you know, we, we muddled through that together, but that was the first time we'd ever done anything of that standard. Um, so I think people feel, yeah, like they need to know everything, but you really don't, you will pick it up as you go. But if you do want to know what to do and you do want some advice and stuff, I am working on something that will help people with that as well, because I know it can be really overwhelming. Um, but I don't think that that should ever stop you from creating good content. And I do think the content is way more important than the sound quality. Yes, sound quality is important, but I don't think that should put you off doing a good interview um, just because you're not in the same room. Yeah, I was actually just about to say that. I think that's so true. It's content above everything. Yeah, like sometimes the sound might not be perfect, but you'd be surprised at what people are kind of, firstly, people don't often notice. I've talked to my friend about a, a specific podcast before and she said, I can't listen to it because the sound quality is so bad, whereas I've never even thought about the sound quality. I was just like, yeah, it's fine. Because um, I really enjoy the content. And I think as much as it is important to have that clear sound as much as you can. If you're talking about something that interests people, then they are willing to give you a little bit of, you know, slack because they're interested in the subject matter as long as it's not like hitting their ears or there's not like a fuzzy, like weird echo throughout. I haven't spent a lot on starting a podcast. I literally bought a microphone. And that's pretty much it. And I pay for SoundCloud to host it on. That's it, really. Like, I use GarageBand, which is on my MacBook. And I use, well, we're using Zoom to record this right now. I've used Zencaster in the past. And that's free as well. And it's really a minimal. I think sometimes when you see someone's podcast set up and you see all these, like, fancy microphones and like filters and all that kind of stuff like it doesn't have to be that difficult it can be super easy absolutely and I think it's important to remember too that a lot of podcasters didn't start being amazing so if you take um a favorite of mine Emma Gannon for example mm -hmm. her control alt delete podcast I've been listening to since she started in her bedroom with her laptop mm -hmm. and now she records in a studio that, that is not how she started. So if you're only finding her now and thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. She didn't get to millions of downloads by thinking, well, I'm not going to do this unless I have a studio. She just started with what she had. Same with My Favourite Murder. I mean, if you go back and listen to their early episodes, it's just them talking. Don't know how they recorded it, but it was a while until they got Stephen, their producer. So, you know, everybody has to start somewhere and you're not going to get any better if you don't learn. And like, I've learned, so I would hope that my sound quality and stuff on content, etc., is good, but that's only because I've learned through all the mistakes of, that we made in better words and also working with an actual like video, video guy um, for 
predator who showed me a lot of tips about sound. There's actually a lot you can do in your own house to sort of record. And, you know, the, the funny thing is that a lot of people, you know, they might want it to sound studio quality, but the ironic thing about that now is that most studio shows are now recording like we are because they're not allowed to be in the same yeah. rooms with each other. <laughs> So that doesn't necessarily, like, that's not stopping them. It's, it literally is 100% about the content. Yeah, it, it, that's such a good point, actually. And actually, I quite like a bit of a, a DIY podcast. There was, um, have you heard, I can't remember her surname, but her name's Holly, and she, uh, she founded, co-founded Not On The High Street, and she has Holly and Co now and she has a, a podcast called Conversations of Inspiration and she interviewed Deliciously Ella a while back when she had her deli cafe and in the background you can hear like people sort of like chatting and you know like obviously like clink and cutlery and stuff like that but it's actually really nice if it's nice. like really like cozy so sometimes like a bit of background noise obviously like in my case you'd hear cars zooming about so I try and minimize that because that's not fun um but yeah, there's a lot you can do. Like when I first moved here, because I live on a main road, I would go and sit basically in like my broom closet because it was the only quiet area of the house. I got a really cheap like pop filter because I have to record courses as well. So they do need to be quite like good quality because people are paying for those. But And I'd get my duvet and I'd just go and sit on my duvet and kind of hang it off like the door. Mm. And that improved the quality like an insane amount. I was genuinely shocked because I read that on like Pinterest somewhere and I was like, this isn't going to work. Well, that's... And it, it did genuinely work. It improved it so much. There was no echoing or anything like that. Yeah, there's so many little tips you can do. Um, so I make sure I record with a blanket on the table just to sort of soften that as well. Um, and then my mic is on a stand like right in front of my face, but I sit quite away from the wall so I don't have any like bounce back. Um, so yeah, there's lots of there's lots of little things you can do at home and also like a lot of um studio made podcasts like narration podcasts like my true crime podcast we had to specifically search out ambient sound to add to it because otherwise it sounds quite boring <laughs> so a little bit of ambient noise isn't too bad and also there are lots of things um where you can sort of edit out a bit of a hum or whatever but just try and have a quite as quiet a room as possible but i mean i'm recording this with my um, headphones so that, that's all you really need to start yeah definitely it's not it doesn't have to be like a big scary thing just get started do a bit of googling <laughs> and you're all good so michelle thank you so much for being on the podcast today it's been a super useful episode and i definitely think anyone who especially at the beginning of your business journey content is the way forward that's how people are going to find you that's how you're going to be able to like build your business and that sort of loyal community where can people work with you find you online follow along with what you're doing so you can find me at the unfinishedbookshelf.com and on instagram i'm unfinished bookshelf if you are interested in starting a podcast and you're feeling a bit overwhelmed i'm going to be starting this podcast course it's a group coaching course in may and that the whole idea of that is to take you from procrastination and overwhelm to a finished podcast that's ready to launch on iTunes in 12 weeks. So if you're interested in that, if you head to the unfinishedbookshelf.com forward slash waiting list, you'll be able to sign up to receive updates on that. 
and be the first to hear about when it opens for enrollment as well. Amazing. And I will link to all of those as well. And I'll link to all your podcasts as well. So people can listen to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. And thank you to Michelle for sharing all of your wisdom with us. I am so excited for Podcast Academy. And if it's something that you're interested in, I'll leave the link in the show notes so you can find out a bit more about it. I'm not going to give you permission to do it to you to give yourself permission to do that thing you've been putting off. For more content, you can read my blog, also the Sunday session, which is a weekly dose of inspiration and motivation. I-